Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our NBA New Year's resolutions. So this episode will be formatted a little differently today. So if you've ever seen the show, Pardon the Interruption on ESPN, by the way, great show. Everybody go check it out if you haven't seen it already. We're going to kind of follow their format. So Jalen and I each have about a minute and a half to make our resolutions and retort to each other's resolutions for their teams. And at the end of the three-minute marker, you will hear the sound. So this is a this is a new format that we're kind of testing out for this episode. Feel free to let us know what you guys think about it. And this is definitely something we're trying out. We are definitely looking forward to experimenting with this format going forward. But let's get started with our New Year's resolutions. And Jalen's going to kick things off with the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, man. So I've got the Eastern Conference teams and Ryan's got the Western Conference. We start with the Atlanta Hawks. My resolution for them is to get better backup point guard play for Trey Young. I mean, the on-off numbers are ridiculous. Trey Young's like a plus 16 when he's on the floor. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been injured most of the year. DeLon Wright, Lou Williams, all their guards play pretty solid minutes, but nobody's giving them crazy offensive production off the when, when Trey Young's off the floor. So got to get a better point guard and got to get some better point guard play when he's off the floor. I think that's pretty much the best way to put it because I think when you talk about the plus minus of when Trey Young is on the court and when Trey Young is off the court, I think the thing you need to figure out is how you get that production coming off the bench. Is Lou Williams going to be that guy going forward that is going to produce for you off the bench? Or is there somebody else? Because it seems like the Hawks just haven't found that answer. And I think the big thing going forward for the Hawks is just trying to find somebody who can give them more production off the bench, somebody that can replicate the success of what they were able to do in the 2020 season. So, yeah, I think that's a great resolution point to make, Jalen. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, just to clear things up that with that, the team as a whole has the depth, right? Atlanta as a whole has the depth across the roster at all positions, and they have talent with DeLon Wright and Lou Williams at the backup point guard positions. But at the same time, they're just not getting the kind of offensive production to keep the ship afloat. Trey Young is an otherworldly talent, so don't get me wrong. They're not supposed to produce like him, but the on-off numbers for Trey Young can't be that significant. It's bad enough that Trey Young's usage is almost like 40% or something ridiculous like that when he is on the court. So, I mean, when it comes to the guard play, man, I know they got the guards in his arsenal for it, but they either got to do something with the guys they got or make a big-time trade and get somebody who can make up for the, the lack of production. You can even look outside the guard department with other players like Danilo Gallinari as a, somebody to step up. I mean, he's been a, a, a solid three-point shooter throughout his entire career. So I wouldn't be surprised if they turn to somebody like him to step up and help produce coming off the bench while Trey Young is on the bench. But I think this is something Nate McMillan really has to adjust going into 2022, considering the Hawks have a lot of expectations given what they were able to do last year. Yeah, shout out Cam Reddish, man. Been doing his thing the last couple of games. Been really solid. So for my first New Year's resolution for the Western Conference, the first team I'm going to talk about is the Dallas Mavericks. And my New Year's resolution to them is more athleticism. Dallas is a team that's 29th at pace of play. They're 25th in steals per game, 29th in blocks per game. Chris Porzingis is averaging 1.6 blocks per game alone. And the next best, the next best player is Maxi Kleber, and he's putting up 0.8 blocks per game. Porzingis is a player that 
has always been known to be athletic, and he can play a little defense as well. Josh Green was drafted because of his potential as a defender, and Theo Pinston has shown flashes in his short stint in, in Dallas so far that he has the ability to be a good defender. So they have the ability to, to, uh, to improve over time, but this is definitely something worth pointing out here as we end the year. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about the lack of lack of athleticism for Dallas, you have to kind of look at their roster overall and kind of point out some of the guys who really kind of hurt their athleticism, right? Tim Hardaway, not really that big of an athlete, kind of more of a shooter now. Luka Doncic, you know, there's all the comments about him coming in out of shape and all that other nonsense. But at the same time, not really the most bouncy guy at all. You talk about Jalen Brunson, solid backup point guard, somebody who, you know, could be arguably in the sixth man of the year race somewhere in, the, you know, the top five in the running. But he comes from a Villanova program, one of the programs that if you look just at this year, they're like in the bottom 30 or bottom 40 in pace of play. He comes from a program where slow and steady wins the race. Right. And that's how he's been able to develop. So you put all that in perspective. Some of their lead guys are not the bounciest of athletes, not the quickest of guys. And they've got guys like Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson. Who, if you got athletes next to them, can get out and can uh, can get the ball to guys who get out and run. The only issue is they don't got too many guys that are out there ready to sprint. So I think that's the big thing. I think that's a lot of the reason why Dallas fans were so hype about Josh Green. It's gonna take a minute to figure out what's up with dude because we haven't seen him really play a significant role. But I mean, dude, if Dallas can get a little bit more athleticism on the wing, we're talking about a serious squad. And you're also talking about uh, what you mentioned with Atlanta, too. The plus minus when Luka Doncic goes to the bench, it's drastic. And I think when you talk about the moves that they've made, not really big trades, but just free agent signings, getting a guy like Brandon Knight, who's actually been a pretty good addition for this team. Theo Pinson, like I mentioned earlier, a really solid defender. Players like Marquise Chris as well, NBA veterans like him. I think it's just small little acquisitions like them that can really turn the tide for this team and maybe boost up the numbers for when Luca's on the bench and also boost up that athleticism as well. So I think it's really interesting to point out. Yeah, man, not much athleticism in this pickup, but it did come out earlier today that IT Isaiah Thomas was picked up on a 10 day after having a stint with the Lakers for Dallas. Definitely another ball handler for the team. So solid, uh, solid nonetheless. Yeah, I think this is a that's a huge acquisition too, given what Isaiah Thomas has been able to do in uh, pro leagues, in other pro leagues as well. Keep in mind, he dropped 81 points in a pro am game, so I think he's still got something left in the tank. But Jalen, moving on to the next next Eastern Conference team, the Boston Celtics. What's their yeah. New Year's resolution? Yeah, man, the Celtics are a tricky one because of the fact that they've got all the all the stuff, right? But I think the biggest thing that they need to focus on is the point guard position. I hate to harp on this position, but like so much in the early going, but this is going to be one of those things that's pretty huge for all the teams. And don't get me wrong, Dennis Schroeder is solid. I think he's somewhere in the six-man-of-the-year race as well. And Marcus Smart is cool, but they don't have a legitimate difference maker at the point guard position. There's been a lot of news out there, a lot of rumor mills going around about the idea of splitting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown up. Look, I don't mean to throw this out here in the street. And I know Ian's going to hate me for this, but the idea of picking up a guy like Ben Simmons on the wing at the point guard position sounds pretty huge for a team like Boston. You talk about the fact that they need the point guard distribution. They definitely need the point guard depth in, in terms of defense, specifically of having another guy who can kind of fly around and guard multiple positions. 
And the other thing is, man, there comes a point where you do have to kind of wonder whether or not Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown overlap each other way too much. You could argue that with Tobias Harris, Jalen Brown might be a so-so fit, but he came into the league as a two, kind of similar to how Paul George plays the two a lot when Kawhi Leonard's on the floor. So it's one of those things where you have to wonder if maybe picking up a guy like Ben Simmons maybe more fulfills what they need, despite the fact that from a talent perspective, you could argue that Jalen Brown might be the better player. This was definitely something that we talked about going into this season because we weren't sure if Marcus Smart was going to be that guy that would be starting for this team. And ultimately, he did get the gig to be the starting point guard. And, you know, you talk about the addition of Dennis Schroeder as well. He was somebody that was searching to get paid, essentially, but unfortunately settle with the veterans minimum uh, deal that he got for the Celtics. And you could argue, I mean, he, he's played a lot better on the Celtics than his entire stint on the Lakers. So, I mean, they have the options at point guard. I mean, Peyton Pritchard as well with his, with his second season, trying to trying to capitalize off the success of his rookie season as well. The idea of splitting up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown is interesting because I don't know if Boston wants to let go of either of them. They are the, the big time duo in Boston right now. I don't think that, uh, fans would be happy if they would split them up. It actually kind of depends if uh, what what the return package is. So if Ben Simmons becomes a Boston Celtic, then maybe your point guard problems are solved, but you also lose a great player in Jalen Brown who stepped up while Jason Tatum was was uh, out last season. So definitely an interesting point to make with the point guard position. Let's get to my other uh, Western Conference team. I want to talk about the Denver Nuggets because – Man, what a season that they've had so far. My New Year's resolution for the Denver Nuggets is to please make Nikola Jokic a featured name in the MVP conversation. I mean, Nikola Jokic is last season's MVP, and he's putting up better numbers than his actual MVP season last year. The MVP is basically a a narrative-based award. And like I said a couple weeks ago on on the episode with Rashad, he has his narrative. His second-best player in Jamal Murray is out. His third-best player in Michael... Porter Jr. is out. The, and the Nuggets are sitting at fifth place in the West, despite him not having his second best player and his third best player. Now, we've seen players who aren't on the best team win this award. You can look at Russell Westbrook winning the award in 2016 because he was playing up so many triple doubles and he was keeping the Oklahoma City Thunder afloat in the Western Conference. So I think this is no longer a two player race. So I think Nikola Jokic has to be inserted into this conversation in 2022. Yeah, and we're going to do our end-of-the-year ballots in terms of what we've seen so much so far this season because me and you haven't really discussed awards very much so far this season. So we plan on doing that as a, um, an episode right before the new year. Uh, but with that being the case, something that will be revealed in there is where I have Nikola Jokic. And for some people, it may be higher than expected, especially in comparison to where I had him the last time we talked. Um, just a little teaser for that being there. But the other thing, too, to kind of mention, you, you talked about the idea of like making him a featured name. Right. It's not really the idea that he hasn't played up to the to the ability to be in this conversation as a legitimate top guy in the league right now. Um, But it's the idea that you have to kind of talk him up above guys like KD and Stephen Curry. Right. And that's where I think Michael Malone has to come into play. Right. You talk about Doc Rivers. I think it was literally last season. He was spending time campaigning for Joel Embiid for MVP, Ben Simmons for Defensive Player of the Year. 
And granted, it didn't really do them any justice because when you talk about the idea of Ben Simmons, there's that whole thing about perimeter play versus center play in terms of the defensive position. And then you talk about for Joel Embiid, in the end, he just didn't have the games played to really, you know, hunker down and take the top spot away from Jokic last season. But look, man, for a guy who's been playing legitimately at a historic level, right? We're talking about like wilt level, ridiculous video game number stuff. Hey, Michael Malone, I know you're not much on the cameras. I know you're not much in front of the mic for most people because you're a very straightforward coach. But hey, man, like Ryan said, definitely put your guy at the front of the at the forefront of this because the dude right now looks like he deserves to be a back to back MVP for real. Yeah, I think Mike Malone is going to have to go to bat for his player because this this is a season that I think a lot of people are overlooking because of the fact that Kevin Durant has been so good. Steph Curry has been so good as well. Also, Steph Curry just hit three thousand threes, which is already impressive of its in and of itself. So I think it's just how people make the case for Nikola Jokic to be featured as as that third guy in a three player race for this MVP. So. I think that's really the big thing to see going forward. Yeah, so moving on to the next Eastern Conference team that I got in here. Um, I got the Brooklyn Nets, and my my New Year's resolution for them is that they try to make the Kyrie Irving integration as smooth of a transition as humanly possible, right? With all the COVID restrictions and certain circumstances that they've had with guys going in and out of the lineup. And this is across the league, obviously. They had to cave in a way that we did not expect which is that they're going to allow Kyrie Irving, even without being vaccinated, to come in as the part-time player that we discussed earlier on in the season. We never thought we'd see the day, but hey, you know, COVID surely has dictated the circumstances in favor of Irving. With that being the case, though, playing every other game or playing two to three games back to back to back and then being down for a couple of games due to being, uh, you know, having significant home stretches and things like that. This part-time player thing is something that we've never truly seen, right? We've seen the Kawhi Leonard aspect of, like, you know, load management and things of that nature, but we've never seen a true part-time element implemented in the NBA. So I think the number one goal, especially considering all the COVID circumstances that have taken place, the best thing that the Nets can do is try to make this as simple of a transition as possible by trying to play their similar style and just trying to get Kyrie Irving in the mix by letting him do what he normally does, which is score the basketball. James Harden is going to play the biggest role in being able to help Kyrie Irving transition to being back on the floor with the Nets. Honestly, I couldn't agree more because I think it's just shocking to see that we're actually going to see a part-time player in the NBA. But if there was a any part-time player, I would want it to be Kyrie Irving because what he provides to the Brooklyn Nets, I think he's he's that third player that they're missing. And you could tell in a lot of the games that they played in, they've really missed his impact on the floor. It just hasn't felt the same with him not being on the floor. So I think the big thing is to try to make that transition as smooth as possible so that there aren't going to be a lot of problems for the Brooklyn Nets other than trying to get to the championship. So look, they have the team this year. You can arguably say they got better uh, this year compared to last year. They added a lot of players that they've been making their own impact. DeAndre Bemby has been great on the defensive side. James Johnson, NBA veteran with a lot of experience. He's been a player that has had some great games for the Brooklyn Nets so far. So, I mean, those are just two players. I mean, Patty Mills, too, with a great acquisition for the Brooklyn Nets. You know, those are just some of the players that 
when you look at the Brooklyn Nets, they've contributed to the success so far, not to mention James Harden as well. He's had a great season. But, uh, yeah, this is just a great team that Kyrie Irving is going to return to, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see how smooth the integration is. Going to my next team, the Golden State Warriors, and my New Year's resolution for them is to get healthy because this team has all the capability to go back to being the championship caliber team that they once were. Steph Curry's having a phenomenal season. Clay Thompson and James Wiseman are set to come back in 2022, and they have been getting production from the supporting cast with players like Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter Jr. producing on offense. But this team needs to be healthy in order to make a deep playoff run. And we also talk about the importance of depth in the playoffs. They're already managing the minutes of Andre Iguodala and Otto Porter this season, and I feel like they're going to have to do it with Clay Thompson and James Wiseman as well. Yeah, and I'm going to tweak that just a little bit by saying that not, I mean, because you can only control health but so much, right? But the idea is to get to the finish line the way you entered the season, right? Now, I know that also involves not having Clay Thompson, who you who they will be getting back, I believe, actually, like within the next week, which is huge for them. But the main thing is that with you getting, you bringing a guy like Clay Thompson back, the idea that James Wiseman will eventually be back on the floor, the idea that you need guys like Andre Iguodala, Stephen Curry, Draymond Green to be healthy, right? Even Otto Porter, Bielitsa, Jordan Poole. These are all guys who you want to be able to go into the postseason with at a healthy level. They don't need to be perfect. Obviously, this is an 82-game season. Nobody's going into the playoffs without a few bumps and bruises. But the main thing for this team, if they're going to be a legitimate threat in the West, they already are extremely dangerous, as is. The last thing they want to do is tarnish such a great season by putting themselves in a circumstance where they're going to go in unhealthy. There's no reason to be shooting for 73-9 and again, right? This is the idea of focusing strictly on trying to get to the playoffs because once they get to the postseason, you already know what time it is. And you have to give credit to Steve Kerr for trying to manage the minutes of the players on this team because, you know, Andre Iguodala is getting it up there in age and maybe father time is catching up to him. So, you know, he hasn't really been producing the same as he was back in 2015. But then you also factor in the injury history of Otto Porter as well. Steph Curry missed some time last year as well. So, and you also mentioned Andrew Wiggins and, and uh, Moses Moody and Jordan Poole they've missed some time as well for this team. So it's just about trying to manage the minutes now. And if they can manage the minutes, this team is is going to make the playoffs for sure. Yeah, I mean, like we've seen it all season, right? They're deep enough to be a legitimate team in the West. They've taken down the Phoenix Suns two out of the three times that they faced off them, which is huge because in the hierarchy of the West, those are the two teams that I think is going to be a question as to who really gets home court advantage down the stretch. So, I mean, Golden State's solid. So, yeah, the next the next team is um, the Charlotte Hornets. And the simple thing for this, Ryan, we've been beating this drum all season, get a legitimate center. I thought this was ridiculous when I when I saw the minutes for this. Mason Plumlee has started uh, all 26 games that he's played in. And the dude is averaging 25 minutes a game. This is like absolutely bonkers. We've seen a lot of small ball minutes where they have P.J. Washington at the center spot. But outside of that, in terms of true center, they got Nick Richards. Vernon Carey, JT Thor keeps getting burned. They're at the point where they drafted Kai Jones and the dude can't even see the floor. If Plumlee is your main dude at center, 
you are not going to be as dangerous in this tight of an Eastern Conference as you would like to be as an up-and-coming team. This is the tightest that the Eastern Conference has been in a while, right? If you look at the top of the West, the West is pretty separated after the first three teams. In the East, I mean, you're talking about being within a game of the difference between being somewhere in 4-5 and being like 10-11, which is huge even with the play-in game system. So, I mean, Charlotte, I mean, man, there's too many centers out there crying, man. Miles Turner's out here in the street. I'm just saying. I'm not saying that that's the guy to get. I'm just saying that I think looking for a legitimate center could be really huge, at least to add some depth, man. Plumlee's cool, but geez, Louise. This is another one where I couldn't agree with you more because, again, the one thing that's that's hindering this team's success is the, their lack of a center. And we've mentioned options. We, we've given them options. I mean, Miles Turner, Christian Wood. Rashawn Holmes was somebody in the offseason that they could have targeted, but that ship has sailed because he just signed a big contract with the Sacramento Kings. Now you're relying on these younger players. And Kai Jones, I, I feel bad for him because, man, he got picked at 11th with the Charlotte Hornets. And you kind of thought that this the tandem of him and James Booknight would be a dangerous duo coming off the bench or even – giving them time to develop in the G League, get their chemistry up as well, because those were two pretty solid players in college. James Booknight was a great scorer for UConn. Kai Jones has a lot of upside, but he's not seeing the floor. And the other thing when you talk about the the crowded front court aspect of it too, because you know there's not only Kai Jones, but there's also Nick Richards. There's also Vernon Carey, who they drafted last year. Then there's Mason Plumlee. It's going to be hard for him to find playing time. And I'm actually going to make this point a little bit later with another team, but I think you just got to give him time. You got to give him time to shine on the floor. Yeah, man. I think the great, the, the great name that you throw out, Christian Wood, really solid name when you talk about somebody who could be available. Houston, you never know exactly how young they're going to go just yet because it seems like they still got the feelers out. Christian Wood, great name in terms of looking at somebody at the trade deadline, for real. That's a, that's a guy. So my next team is the Houston Rockets and my new year's resolution for them is to just let their talent develop. The Rockets are a team with a lot of potential, but they just need time to get better. They need time to build chemistry. Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. They're an up and coming backcourt tandem. Uh, Christian Woods, an underrated player at his position. I, I think he's going to be a, a valuable commodity in the, uh, when the trade deadline approaches Alperin Sengun, he's been playing some great basketball to this point in the season. I think he's actually the steal of the draft for sure. Um, but also, not to mention, Armani Brooks is proving to be a great sharpshooter for this team. He's been shooting the ball very well from three this season. So those are just a few names from this roster. But I think we just need to give it time because I think in a couple of years, this is just going to be a really fun team to watch in the future. I mean, the biggest thing, just to piggyback off that, is like for real, just in Embrace it, though. Embrace the youth. Like, you still have guys like Eric Gordon playing legitimate minutes, right? You have a guy in Jayshon Tate who I think is really solid at that 2-3 spot that I think could definitely use a little bit more time. Armani Brooks is really good, I think, especially as a sharpshooter. There's all those negotiations, right, about John Wall wanting to get back on the floor, especially when Jalen Green had went down. And I think that I think if you cave on that, you're really folding on an opportunity to let Jalen Green and Kevin Porter really eat. Um, you just put yourself in a position where I think that your timeline doesn't add up in a way that favors 
playing some of these other guys that you have. And I agree with you. Even Josh Christopher has been like pretty solid this year, despite the fact that he was kind of seen as a, a little bit of a ball hog, a little bit of too much of a James Harden clone, right, to a certain extent in terms of his play style and, you know, lack of efficiency here and there as well in college. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing, too, if you talk about what this Houston team needs to do, they don't have a ton of great picks down the line either. So the best thing they can do is with the treasure trove of guys they got this past offseason, make the most of it. Couldn't agree more in terms of the idea of really embracing it. The question is, out of all of those people, and I'll kind of flip this to you, you've got about a minute left. Do you think that Christian Wood is a part of that long-term young core in terms of building around? Because we just mentioned him with Charlotte. You see, that's that's what we talked about about a week ago. I mean, we, we mentioned the idea of Christian Wood being on the Charlotte Hornets, and the fit makes sense, but it's just whether or not Houston wants to give him up. Also, I want to point out Eric Gordon, John Wall, because I think those are two guys that could be could end up being moved at the trade deadline for picks and young players. So honestly, like Houston has the opportunity to capitalize on this rebuild. They look like a really fun team right now with just a lot of young players and they're making the most of their opportunity with this rebuild. They've gotten some wins together on the court. Remember, they went on that really long win streak. But I think the big thing when you talk about how this team moves forward, it's just going to be about trading their older players for some young, for some young players and or picks. Yeah, so next up in terms of the Eastern Conference, we got my Chicago Bulls. So I'm going to try to make this one real quick because you know I can rant about the Bulls all day. I've said this a few times on the podcast, and I think it's just one of those things that we have to further harp on, and it's the idea of the Chicago Bulls getting a true 3-4, right? In terms of our closing lineup, it's a really small group. Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Zach Levine at the 3, DeMar DeRozan at the 4, Nikola Vucevic at the 5. I have no problem with that lineup. I'm just saying, if we could get Harrison Barnes or Jeremy Grant, I'm not mad at the idea of it in terms of having an optimal lineup. We have a lot of situations where we have Javante Green playing heavy minutes, and I love him as an energy guy, but only as an energy guy, right? A guy who can definitely play significant minutes for us as a bounce off the bench. But in crunch time, I'd like to have a guy that I can give the rock to and kind of create his own shot at the three spot next to a guy like DeMar DeRozan or Zach Levine. They all, the, the whole league knows that this is one of the most dynamic scoring duos in the entire NBA. But the idea is we need that third tertiary guy who can handle the rock and create for himself when they, when they are not having the kind of night that can combine for 57 like we saw a couple of nights ago. And Nikola Vucevic is solid, but he's just not playing that same kind of offensive role that he played in Orlando, and he's improved as a defensive player. But again, we just need one more perimeter guy to take off. I want it to be Lonzo, but I think truly we just need another 3-4. And I think when you talk about the players, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago as well, it was either between Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes, and both players are having very solid seasons right now. I think Harrison Barnes is having one of the best seasons of his career. Jeremy Grant is proving himself as a number one option in Detroit. Honestly, I think any player works for this team. It's just about what Detroit and Sacramento will give up for what Chicago is offering. Because I know like they're giving up Harrison Barnes, but maybe it, or, uh, Sacramento is giving up Harrison Barnes, but maybe it's going to be um, – you know, a lot to give, to give him up. There's, it's going to be a challenge to give him up. Uh, same thing with Detroit. I mean, maybe Detroit will take some of Chicago's young players. Um, that's going to be very interesting to see because I I'm interested to see what Harrison Barnes and Jeremy Grant are worth in trade talks. 
because we always talk about like the value of players. What are they worth essentially? That's my question here with Harrison Barnes because Harrison Barnes is 29. He's, he's having the best season of his career right now. He could be really beneficial to Chicago. Same thing with Jeremy Grant having another great season with Detroit. One, who you want more, and two, what is their worth going to be? Yeah, final point on that is the Chicago Bulls got their request to get a disabled player exception on Patrick Williams. Even more of a reason to get a three, right? Missing out on Patrick Williams, they can't even get compensation for it. You know? So moving on to the next Western Conference team, we have the Los or we have the Los Angeles Clippers. And my New Year's resolution to the Clippers is to stand your ground in the Western Conference because the Clippers are 17 and 17 right now in the West. And all things considered, they've held their own without their best player in Kawhi Leonard, who's been out for the Clippers. They're also losing Paul George as well as he tore a ligament in his shooting shoulder. Reggie Jackson is out as he is in the health and safety protocols. So there goes your best player, your second best player, and your third best player. And now they're getting Marcus Morris back, which is a huge boost in the front court. Now, I think what will be interesting is this guard tandem of Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard coming off the bench because they've been giving them some solid production uh, coming off the bench, but now they're going to be inserted into the starting lineup. And you talk about other players as well. Brandon Boston has shown flashes of potential for this team. So I think the big thing for the Clippers is just to stand packed in the West without their second and third best players until they return and let their young players carry the load for this team. Yeah, I mean, this team is ravaged by injuries. You know, you obviously talk about entering the season without Kawhi Leonard, missing out on Paul George for significant time is huge. Huge. So in terms of standing your ground, yeah, they're a frisky team. And I think they're going to get some big nights out of B.J. Boston. He's already played really well in the time that he's been given. Terrence Mann is going to have a lot more of, like, focus on him. And guys like Reggie Jackson are going to have to play more minutes um, when they get the opportunity, the idea of embracing the spotlight. But nonetheless, I mean, the Clippers, like you said beforehand, if they can just stay afloat, I think you get PG back. The, the idea of getting Kawhi definitely still floats in the air, too. So you have to just factor out, factor in all of that. And I think at the end of the day, the Clippers are still a legitimate threat in the Western Conference to play kind of spoiler the way like Memphis did for Golden State last year, right? So I think there's just this overall eagerness in this team to continue to kind of stay the course because the closer and closer we get to the end of the season, the more likely that Kawhi Leonard pop-up could really become a real thing. And if that happens, you want to talk about the changing the landscape in the Western Conference uh, postseason? If Kawhi Leonard comes back to a team like this that's got legitimate athletes across the board and PG playing at the level that he's playing at, yeah, they're going to be for real. We saw that preview last year with Terrence Mann going off and you know other players like Reggie Jackson doing great in the playoffs. So if Kawhi Leonard can come back to this team, imagine how much more dangerous he is coming back to this team and how – how their playoff chances can exceed um, in the Western Conference. Yeah, so um, moving on to um, the next Eastern Conference team, and this one is actually a lot more interesting now with the way this season is going. The Cleveland Cavaliers, my New Year's resolution for them is to come up with a respectable contract to bring back Colin Sexton. I legitimately think Colin Sexton fits really well on what this team has going for them. 
but he's got to come back on the cheap because he is not getting a max. He's missing the whole season. Ricky Rubio has played really well. Shout out Ricky, Ricky Rubio, by the way. He just kind of went down with significant injury. Hoping that doesn't help hold him off for too long. Darius Garland has been really, really good. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as a tandem has played way beyond our expectations. Way, way beyond our expectations, especially on the defensive end, which I guess we should have expected, but we didn't. You know what I mean? And you throw on top of that, we talked about wings for uh, Cleveland one of the last times we talked about the Cavaliers. But what about a punch off the bench with a guy that's already known as a microwave scorer, right? Karis LeVert, we know he could put up points in a hurry, but eh, debatable. You know what I mean? In terms of consistency, you talk about a guy like Colin Sexton, who's coming off of averaging 20 plus points per game. If he can go up against second units. Now, look, it's all about pride. It all comes down to pride at the end of the day when you talk about a guy like Sexton. But if a guy like that is coming off your bench. Oh, my goodness. The kind of the kind of efforts they would get when you talk about him going up against second unit point guards. Colin Sexton would eat second unit opponents up for lunch. And when you talk about bench scoring, it's not even close. He would easily be like top three, top four in bench scoring across the league, I think. If they can get Colin Sexton back on a respectable deal while still being able to retain Ricky Rubio, man, we might be talking about Cleveland being kind of for real. That's the thing, though. Like, do you bring Colin Sexton back at all because of the fact that this team is playing really well without him. And, you know, I think he's going to be expecting a lot of money in the offseason, and deservedly so, by the way, because he's been putting up some great numbers for this team. He's arguably an underrated guard at his position. But you have to think, does this team need him in the long term? Because I think they've had a lot more success with their three big-man lineup recently. And I think the, uh, the tandem – of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen has worked out a lot better than people thought. So I think it's it's really interesting to point out that. But also, can we get a Coach of the Year nomination for J.B. Bickerstaff? Because shockingly enough, the Cleveland Cavaliers are third place in the Eastern Conference. So, I mean, I don't know if I have to be the first guy to do it. If I, if I am the first guy, then, hey, somebody needs to jump on the bandwagon with me. But – Look, I feel like he just he just deserves to get some respect at this point. No, I'm rocking with you, bro. JB Bickerstaff has definitely been doing his thing from a developmental standpoint. Darius Garland makes getting Colin Sexton kind of hard. Shout out JB, though. Shout out JB. So moving on to the next Western Conference team, we have the Los Angeles Lakers. And my New Year's resolution to them is to fix the supporting cast outside of LeBron James because the Lakers have been struggling with this new team, which I might add which I must add, should I say, was pretty much assembled by LeBron James. And I said this a while ago that through 30 to 40 games, if this team was below 500, then LeBron would have to go into GM mode. And, well, the Lakers are two games below 500 through 32 games in their season. So I have a feeling he's already going to work to see what he can do with this team because the fact of the matter is that LeBron James is playing some spectacular basketball. And the team around him is not. So the Lakers just need to go back to the drawing board or else the playing expectations we have for them could come to fruition. I think the biggest thing that we need to like really discuss, and this might take an entirely separate pod. So like 
you know, let's not gaslight this too much, but I do want to throw something out there that I think we might need to really ask ourselves whether or not our perception of Anthony Davis as a player was gaslit or like maybe a little bit higher than what he deserves, right? He has all the school, he has all the skill set and tools in order to be this legitimate number one slash one B option, right? But, you know, he's been out for some time and obviously that, that's a, that's a, regular thing with ad right when you talk about his consistency on being on with being on the floor and just being ravaged by injuries on a season to season basis but we were saying it before the season started ryan you probably beat the table for this even more than anybody that if anthony davis was not the best player on this team the lakers were not going to be a legitimate threat in the western conference straight period point blank the fact that lebron james still has to play at a top five player in the world level goes to show you just how significant of limitations this team has in the squad. And I don't think it's going to improve very much when AD comes back. Just out of the fact that he's had pretty much, if you include this season and last season, two back-to-back underwhelming seasons following winning the championship. I don't know if getting the monkey off his back made him relax or if it's just simply something else. But we might have to start asking ourselves legitimately if we rank Anthony Davis way too high in perspective to not just players in the NBA, but maybe even just where he ranks amongst other centers in terms of this talent level. I'll say something real quick. They just have to do, they have to do something at the deadline because LeBron, he's been a great player for this team, but every great player needs help. Goodness said it better myself, man. That that's, that's the one right there. You can pack LeBron James all you want to, but geez, man, you can't watch this man put up the kind of numbers he's been putting up lately and not throw him a bone. Nonetheless, we're going to get to a not so exciting team in comparison to the, to the Lakers, right? We're going to talk about the Detroit Pistons. Make this one real simple. Find a trade partner for Jeremy Grant. Look, I know there's a little bit of bias in that statement in terms of the idea, but hear me out. He's got one more year left on his deal, one for 20.9 mil on the books. He doesn't fit your timeline because if you talk about him from a contract standpoint, the dude is already 27 and becomes an unrestricted free agent at 29. What in the world do the Pistons need with a 29-year-old centerpiece? There's nothing they need to do with that. Focus on Kay Cunningham. Focus on whether or not Killian Hayes is really worth giving legitimate minutes next to Cade, is Sadiq Bey that guy at the three spot? What about your center position? Is Isaiah Stewart really that dude? If he's not, is there somebody you could put next to him to maybe help embrace him at the center spot? They got bigger fish to fry than figuring out whether or not they want to pay Jeremy Grant, okay? You know what I mean? So, like, again, Bulls fan might be talking a little bit out the left, the left side of my mouth here in terms of trying to, like, you know, persuade. But at the same time, Detroit, do you really need Jeremy Grant? You know? So, yeah. It's interesting because I think Jeremy Grant took a bet on himself and it worked. He took the same contract, essentially, in Detroit that he was offered in Denver, and he proved – to everyone that he can be a number one scoring option. He can lead the team in points per game, rebounds, assists, shoot the ball well. I think now that he's proven that, he can do that for a contending team now. And keep in mind, he's only 27 years old. I think 
you know, you get a guy in his prime, you put him on a team like Chicago, you put him on a contending team, you send him to the Lakers, possibly, you send him to the Clippers, possibly, you even send him to the Utah Jazz, possibly. You know, they could always use front court help. But it's just about where where is he going to go? Because I think if there is a a player that's going to have the spotlight on him during this trade deadline is Jeremy Grant. Because I mean, I don't think he's going to stay in Detroit for that long. Detroit is not a very good team. They're a young rebuilding team that, you know, much like the Houston's and the Oklahoma cities is struggling early. No surprise there, because that's what rebuilding teams do. They're struck. They struggle. They have to build chemistry. They have to play together on the floor. So it's not hard to see why, why Jeremy Grant would leave Detroit, but it's just about where he would go, essentially. Yeah, I think the biggest thing when you talk about Jeremy Grant, just focus on the idea of finding him a legitimate home that gets you assets back. Look, man, Detroit's probably one of the worst rebuilds. Let's figure it out. So moving on to the next Western Conference team, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, and my New Year's resolution to them is – getting Brandon Clark back to form because we we really haven't seen much of Brandon Clark this year. Now he's had a very promising start to his career in his first two years in, in the NBA. We've seen that, that promise at times this year, he's been playing at 21 games, but um, he's been battling injuries this year and he it's basically limited his time on the court and he's had a decrease in playing time as well. His playing time, his playing time is almost down eight minutes from last season Last season, he was averaging 24 minutes a game. This year, just over 15 minutes a game. So it's definitely taking some time for him to come back from injuries that he sustained throughout the season. But he's also trying to compete for minutes in a crowded front court for Memphis as well. So if he can stay healthy, hopefully we can see him produce on the floor for the Grizzlies. I think that's a great point because it's very similar to like when you talk about the idea of like Rui Hachimura returning soon, right? Like his extension got pushed back after him being out for personal reasons initially, then he got put out for health and safety protocol. And he's returning to a situation where Kyle Kuzma plays a lot of the three. Denny Avdia plays a lot of the three. Montrez Harrell is playing a lot. Daniel Gafford is playing a lot. Lord knows what happens when Thomas Bryant comes back. Like it gets tricky. And Memphis. You want to talk about depth? Look, dude, look, Memphis and Atlanta are probably two of the deepest teams in the entire league. And when you talk about a guy like Brandon Clark, the depth ain't nice to him. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a legitimate piece of this future. Steven Adams is playing really well. Xavier Tillman was part of the reason why Brandon Clark was missing out on minutes late last season. Because shout out Michigan State, that's the homie. He was legitimately playing big minutes at the end of games for Memphis last season. So when you look at the overall depth that they have, it gets really tricky, right? And I mean, obviously they get John Morant back, and that's huge from an offensive production standpoint. But Desmond Bain has raised his level significantly. Dylan Brooks is still a legitimate part of this team. Lord knows when this team unlocks DeAnthony Melton, like it's a whole nother, it's a whole nother problem then. So when you look at the overall landscape of this team, I hope they can unlock a guy like Brandon Clark because his athleticism changes the landscape of a squad like this that can definitely get out and run with some of the athletes they have. But, but, Ryan, I got to be honest. I just don't know where the minutes are coming from. I'm just not sure. 
I don't blame you for saying that. I mean, when you talk about players on this team, I mean, their front court, like I mentioned, Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. starting for this team. Dylan Brooks playing some solid minutes at the three with Desmond Baines uprise as he starts at the two. But then you look deeper in the front court, you have Killian Tilly, who was a phenomenal player at Gonzaga, now getting his chance in the NBA. You also have Zaire Williams, who was a solid draft pick for this team. Now Brandon Clark as well. It's Brandon Clark's almost getting lost in the shuffle, and I, I hope he can he can find his way with this or find his way back into the lineup for this team. I love Brandon Clark, man. Just just hope he can find some time in the midst of all this shenanigans that is the Memphis Dev. But um, next squad that I've got on the on the docket, Indiana Pacers. I'm gonna actually make this one kind of quick because we've kind of gassed the Pacers a little bit. So Ryan, we might not even take up the whole three minutes. Kind of just rock and roll with this one. Biggest thing for Indiana is they need to figure out who they want to build around. Is it Demontis? Is it Miles? Is it is it Brogdon? Is it Karis? Do they keep TJ? You mentioned that beforehand on a different podcast. Um, McConnell and, and Warren, <laughs> either one. You know what I mean? Like they just, I, my main thing for them resolution wise is to identify three guys. Obviously, Chris Duarte doesn't factor in this because he just got signed in as a rookie. But identify three guys on your throughout your primary function, the, the, the primary part of your roster, and identify who those three guys are that you want to move forward with. Anybody who doesn't make that list is expendable. They have to start from somewhere. They don't have crazy draft capital. So they're going to have to start from the ground up. Pick three guys that you think are legitimate blue chippers and start selling at the trade deadline with the rest of them. I feel like the main player they have to build around is DeMontis Sabonis. It just seems like he fits the timeline of this team. He fits the culture of this team. He's played some great basketball. Last season, we talked about him as a dark horse MVP candidate. He's definitely putting up some, some low-key solid numbers right now, some, un, some lo, uh, underrated all-star numbers this year. But I think when you look at you know other players to build this team around, Chris Duarte, absolutely. He also just signed a contract as well. He got drafted by this team um, with the uh, 13th overall pick in this year's draft. And honestly, I think the third player is the biggest question because we don't know who that third player could be because I, I feel like it could be Malcolm Brockton with how good he's been playing, but there's a chance that he doesn't fit the timeline of this team. Miles Turner, it seems like he's on his way out as well. TJ McConnell, I, I made the case for him that even though he's injured right now, he is a player that could get moved at the deadline with how good he is coming off the bench with his defense and playmaking ability. So there's just a lot of players that play for a possible trade, but also with, with this rebuild, like who can be that third guy? That's very interesting. It's very interesting to mention. Agree. Agree. Pretty much simple. Like I said, Indiana is pretty simple. Uh, we can move on to the next team. Like I said, Indiana is one of those teams that like, until we see a little bit more developed for them, I think the simplest thing in terms of a resolution is just start narrowing down who you really want to keep and who you think is worth moving on. Moving on to the next team in the Western Conference, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. And my New Year's resolution to them is to make some moves at the deadline because we spoke on previous episodes about the potential of the Timberwolves and how they are exceeding expectations. This core of Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo, uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell, uh, getting it done for your team right now. I also mentioned other players like uh, Nas Reed, Jared Vanderbilt, Jalen Noel, 
playing well. Jalen Noel actually just had a, a great game for the Minnesota Timberwolves recently. But I think they need to capitalize on their success so far this season and make some moves that secure a spot in the play-in tournament or even in the playoffs in the Western Conference. So you need to add players that can fit this team and help this team win games. And I know I said it once, but I'm going to say it again. Make an attempt to get Buddy Heald. I think the Buddy Heald one is such an interesting concept just because when you brought it up, I never really thought about it until like we had that discussion about potential trades. Um, overall, I think the biggest thing with Minnesota is clearly missing the playoffs year after year after year is going to be one of those things that just isn't going to fly, right? And I I mean, I agree with you. The idea of them being buyers at the deadline still feels just a bit sketchy just because I feel like I still don't fully understand what this team's trajectory is moving forward. But nonetheless, I do feel like they're in a situation where if you're if you are done missing the playoffs, which I'm sure a bunch of Minnesota fans alone are, you got to put yourself in the right position. I don't know exactly who they move. I think Malik Beasley is obviously the odd man out in terms of like his contract and what kind of value he could provide for a different team. So, you know, it, it gets a little tricky, but I do agree with you with the fact that they need, if they want to be a playoff team, they're going to have to do something to kind of put themselves over the top and make themselves like legit. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and oh, we're going to hop to the Miami Heat. This one's really simple in terms of uh, in terms of their resolution. For me, it's just get Bam Adebayo back from injury, like, as his good old self. So, the idea is give that man as much time as humanly possible, right? Dwayne Dedman's been playing relatively fine. Omir Yurt7, shout out to G League, bro. G League has been taken over with all these call-ups. But Omir Yurt7's played relatively well as, oh, on top of that. And then you just throw out the fact that Miami, don't get me wrong, their depth is still questionable in terms of a playoff setting, but their main guys know what time it is. So as long as they can get the Jimmy Butlers, the Bam Adebayos of the world healthy by hook or crook, man, it's kind of like what you said with Golden State. It's not about the fact of coming out of the regular season in a specific stance. It's about getting to the postseason because they've got the squad to be legitimate in a seven-game series. I think just getting Bam Adebayo and, uh, and Jimmy Butler will be solid. I think you also talk about the bench scoring, too. Uh, even though they have great players coming off the bench right now, and Tyler Hero, who's playing at great numbers, Max Struess making a great impact coming off the bench, Omer Yurtstefan as well, too. Again, once again, shout out, shout out to the G League, because Max Struess and Omer Yurtstefan made their names in the G League, and now they're getting that opportunity to produce for the Miami Heat and be impact players. Also, shout out to the Summer League as well, because that's where we saw them fall out as well. So, Honestly, it's just about getting that production coming off the bench. Moving on to the Western Conference, talking about our next team in the Western Conference, we have the New Orleans Pelicans. So the big the, the New Year's resolution I have for them is getting Zion Williamson back on the court. So we know what type of impact Zion has on this team, but he has not been on the court for this team. We are also uncertain of the future of Zion Williamson in New Orleans. And the Pelicans have started out this season 3-16. and 16. They now have won 10 of the last 15 games. If Zion Williamson can play this season, it would be instrumental in this team's, in, in this team's attempt to make a push for the play-in tournament. And he's being evaluated. He's, he's being re-evaluated, should, should I say, uh, for his foot injury in four to six weeks. So now I'm interested to see, one, if he comes back, and two, if he can give this team a boost to make the play-in tournament. 
Ryan, I'm just going to simplify your New Year's resolution by saying I think that David Griffin's New Year's resolution should be to be on his knees and pray every single day because maybe that'll help him get in a better position to maybe fix all of this nonsense that he's built. So I think that his resolution should be to build consistency in terms of speaking with the Lord. He's going to need a little bit of help. Um, moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks, man. Simple one is for me. Get significant progression from Dante DiVincenzo. Um, coming back from significant injury, been injured since the back half of last season. Only played two games so far this year. And it's basically him versus Grayson Allen in terms of an upcoming extension. So, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo is a legitimate perimeter player for them. Definitely on the defensive end as well. If they can get him back in full form, he's going to be huge in terms of Milwaukee trying to make a run back, um, a run back at the championship. Um, because a lot of these teams that they're going to have to see on the way have legitimate perimeter play. So it's going to be one of those situations where guys like Dante DiVincenzo next to Drew Holiday, next to Chris Middleton, next to arguably defensive player of the year, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they're going to have to build a very strong defense to take on some of these high-to-octane offenses in the East. And if they make the finals, there's not going to be any slouches offensively in the West either. So, yeah, Dante is going to be huge. Honestly, I think the big thing is to maintain both Dante DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen because we know about the the we know about what Dante DiVincenzo can provide to this team. But Grayson Allen stepping up in his place, doing what he's been doing this year, I think that's been impressive as well. So the big thing for Milwaukee is just to not only retain both Dante DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen, but also manage their minutes because Grayson Allen. Even though he had a bit of a slow start to his NBA NBA career, he's bounced around a few different teams. Milwaukee is where he's really exceeding his potential right now. So I think you just have to take advantage of that. The next Western Conference team is the Oklahoma City Thunder. And my New Year's resolution to them is to let their talent develop. Same thing with Houston. Much like Houston, Oklahoma City is building a young core of talented players. Shea Gilgis Alexander is having a great season as the leader of this core. Josh Giddy has been a great player from this draft with his passing ability. Lugan Store is already a solid defender and he's getting better and more confident as a shooter. So I just think it's plain and simple. Be patient. Watch this team continue to play more on the court together and build that chemistry. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is for Oklahoma City is, man, as long as you know Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the guy, you will figure the rest out. The biggest thing that's hard for any NBA franchise is figuring out who the spearhead of a rebuild, who the spearhead of your franchise is going to be. Shea Gilgis-Alexander said it himself, I'm him, and he for real is that dude. So I think as far as I'm concerned, the rest will figure itself out. But Josh Giddy's been a big hit, which a lot of people were a little bit down on him going into the draft. Um, some were high on him, but kind of thought that maybe OKC wasn't the fit. Well, he's proven everybody wrong. I think he's legitimate in the uh, the rookie of the year race, top five bare minimum against some of these other guys that he's that he's going to be having his name compared to. Um, let's go to New York real quick. We're going to go to Ryan's favorite team, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave leave Ryan to actually do most of the talking, but. My uh, New Year's resolution is to embrace Kimball Walker and hope that the late stretch that he's had um, is the real version of him, right? You had the 44-point outing. You had the triple, the first Nick triple-double in Christmas history, right, lately. That's the kind of Kimball Walker this team needs. 
This is the kind of Kimball Walker that the New York Knicks were hoping that they would get this offseason. And don't get me wrong, 10, 10, and 12 is not impressive. But it's his overall impact on the floor when he plays to that level that makes him legitimately dangerous. So I think the biggest thing is embrace Kimba, bro. Because if Kimba plays up to cardiac Kimba level and y'all marches around the corner so y'all know what time it is when it comes to this man, Kimba Walker, embrace him. And if he plays up to the level we know he can for this Knicks team, they going to be all right, man. I know a lot of people are down on the Knicks because Julius Randle isn't shooting the three the way he was uh, last year. Same thing with R.J. Barrett. But Kimball Walker, man, he could be the saving grace for this team. I feel like his benching was a bit of a wake-up call because, you know, he was out for, what, 11 games? And now I think when you put the – when you take the benching of Kimball Walker into – into as, as, a, as a factor – Man, he he's been he's been tearing it up for the New York Knicks. I mean, you mentioned the Christmas Day uh, triple double that he put up, but even go back a couple games before that because I think he's he's playing with a point. He's playing with a purpose, and I think the the Knicks fan base is finally going to see what Kemba Walker can bring to this team. I think we're going to see the cardiac Kemba at UConn. Uh, with the New York Knicks, and we've seen flashes the flashes of that so far. If he goes off and and reverts to cardiac combo for the entire month of March and gives the Knicks some much needed wins in that month, I think that would be huge. But uh, yeah, I, I hope he continues to play like this because I was fearing that he was going to get traded at the trade deadline. So I I'm very glad to see Kemba Walker playing. Uh, playing like this again, and hopefully he can he can be consistent uh, throughout the season. Moving on to the next team, the Phoenix Suns. My New Year's resolution to them is to please pay DeAndre Ayton. I don't care if it's the supermax. I don't care what kind of contract it is. Please pay DeAndre Ayton. We mentioned on this podcast when we had Thomas from Goated NBA News on. It is important to make DeAndre Ayton to make paying DeAndre Ayton, should I say, a priority for 2022. If you need reassurance to pay him, look at his impact in the finals last year. Look at his impact when he is on and off the floor this year for the Phoenix Suns. When he's off the floor, Phoenix doesn't have the same success as they do when he's on the floor. And I, and I said, if they let him go, it will be the first domino that falls for this team. If they think they can find someone better, they can do that. They can make an attempt to do that. But you are losing one of the key cornerstones to this franchise if you do not re-sign DeAndre Ayton. Honestly, this shouldn't even have to be discussed. Pay DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I love the point. I mean, overall, D- DA is for real, man. DA is a lot of the reason why they were able to get the uh, the job done going, into, uh, going throughout the postseason. A lot of favorable matchups, I do understand. But the biggest thing is D.A. was the only thing keeping them in the finals as well, right? They were getting killed in the minutes where he was off the floor, and it hurt that Dario Sarge was injured. That's the whole reason why JaVale McGee has been such a significant pickup for the off, in the offseason, right? So I think the big thing with them is, like, don't underestimate this man's worth, dude. This dude is a legitimate ball player for this squad and has done a lot to already get this team as far as they've gotten them. Please don't undermine the center position so hard that you sleep on a talent like this. Um. Next up, we got the Orlando Magic, and the, their New Year's resolution should be to put the ball in Jalen Suggs' hands more and hope that he'll have a strong second half of the season. 
the reason why I think this is the resolution they should lean with is because I saw this firsthand. As a Bulls fan, I watched Kobe White struggle in the first half of his rookie year, and he came out in the second half of the season and not only made a legitimate he was he was legitimately in the rookie of the year race towards the back half of the season, but he was also low key playing for six man of the year. And if we just go went off the back half of the year, this dude was legitimately in the mix. Now I'm not saying saying Jalen Suggs is going to get that kind of run because so far in the rookie of the year race, some of the other rookies have already outdone him throughout most of this first half of the year. I mean, even Franz Wagner on his team has been significantly better than him. But I think when you when you spend the fourth overall pick on a guy, when you spend when you spend a top five, excuse me, you spend a top five pick on a guy like Jalen Suggs, you have to see what you're working with. I love Cole Anthony as a player, but you got to see what you're working with when it comes to Jalen Suggs. I think that's a really good point because I almost didn't think about the the impact that Kobe White had in the second half of the season for the Bulls in his rookie year. And when you talk about his impact, and hopefully it will translate with, with Jalen Suggs because he has not had the strongest start to his NBA career so far, but maybe in the second half of the season, he turns it around much like Kobe White. And I, I also feel bad for him in the sense that he's competing in a, a crowded front court. You know, you you have uh, Cole Anthony, who's been the starting point guard for this team. Markel Fultz is out with an injury, so he's he hasn't really played. He hasn't played this season. And now you have Jalen Suggs, who's third in the point guard depth chart for the Orlando Magic. So I, I think it's, it's, it's going to be imperative for him to get some minutes on this team, given uh, given the fact that he was a phenomenal player in college. and Hopefully he can translate his game to the NBA. And you also spent a top five pick on him. So I think that's the big thing, too. It's just trying to get minutes for him on the floor and and pair him up with Franz Wagner because also Franz Wagner has been having a pretty good uh, NBA uh, career so far as well. So very interesting to look out for in 2022. My next team in the Western Conference, I want to talk about the Portland Trailblazers. And my New Year's resolution for them is to decide what to do with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. The Blazers sit at 13 and 20 right now in the Western Conference. It's They're in 12th place. I'm unsure of what direction this team is going in. This is a team that I thought was going to rebuild. It looks like they're trying to make a run to the top of the Western Conference one more time. There's speculation about the futures of both Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in Portland, and they both have spent pretty much their entire careers in Portland. And I think the big thing for the Blazers is to decide what to do because if uh, Lillard and McCollum stick around, you're going to try to make something happen one more time. If both players are gone by the deadline, it's clear that they're heading toward a rebuild. Because even if one of those players sticks around, I'm still unsure of what they're going to do. Because they could still be a playoff team with one of those guys on their team. So this is definitely something to watch out for in 2022. Yeah, Ryan, I hate to hit you with a one-liner, but like that, I mean, that's probably the best thing they can focus on, right? Out of everything they've they've experienced so far this season, the only thing they need to be worried about is what is going to happen with Dane. That's it. And I'll follow you up by moving on to the Philadelphia 76ers who have their own problem. Guess what their resolution is, Ryan? I'm sure you can take a pretty decent guess. They need to find a way to trade Ben Simmons. I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious. They clearly need to be able to get some kind of talent from, from 
moving a guy of that of that caliber, right? We're not going to act like Ben Simmons is a scrub or anything, but they need to be able to get some kind of compensation for him. I think preferably for them, the sooner the better. You're playing on Joel Embiid's timeline, which means you technically ain't got a lot of time. So with that being the case, find a trade for Ben Simmons. I agree with you. It's the same thing with Dame. Nothing they do moving forward should outweigh the decisions talking about Portland and Philly. Nothing should outweigh their focus on these two guys in terms of what they need to do moving forward. Couldn't have said it better myself because of the fact that you're basically you're you're basically wasting Joel Embiid's time right now. You're also wasting his career. You need to find him some help. Like get get this man some help. Get him some elite level scoring ability. Get him some more defense. Get him something. You know, you have a, a player in Ben Simmons that's that that doesn't want to be on your team anymore. Can we do something with him? Can we trade him to a team that actually will will use his talent? Can you trade him to a team that you can get something for him? Get some players or picks or something. You can't just have Ben Simmons's contract just sit there and Joel Embiid's prime is being wasted as we speak. And he's been telling us to trust the process. Well, Look, let's let's trust the process and hope in 2022 Ben Simmons is no longer a Philadelphia 76er. Moving on to the next team in the Western Conference, the Sacramento Kings. My New Year's resolution to them is to improve on the three and D. Now, the Kings have struggled in both shooting the three and playing defense or shooting from three and playing defense this season. They're 24th in the NBA in shooting from three and the defense has only given up. Uh, less than 100 points in three games this season. For three-point shooting, it's all about ball movement and spacing. And for defense, they just need to make better defensive adjustments to uh, better defensive adjustments to hold their or to to hold their opponents to under 100 points per game. I think the big thing is just to get creative with the lineups on defense and just see what works. So the Kings are in a position where they have the chance to make the play-in tournament. So I think those are going to be two focal points to improve on heading to the new year. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Sacramento is if they don't improve defensively, I mean, they're not going to be a legitimate factor in this. The bright side for anybody who's towards the bottom of the West is the West past the top three teams is not really that good, at least in terms of separating themselves in the standing. So a lot of these teams have a legitimate fighting chance down to the end because outside of the top three teams, nobody's really separated themselves. And that still leaves seven spots to potentially make a, 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 a push towards the postseason. So, I mean, the bright side for Sacramento is you only got to be good enough to make 10th, you know? And then after that, it just comes down to being good enough to win a game or two. So, I mean, man, Sacramento's tricky. But, you know, that's how it would be. That's how it would be. The next team that I have, we're coming down on the, uh, the stretch here for this one, Toronto. I said this for Charlotte, so I'm going to say this for Toronto and kind of keep it moving. Pick up a high-level center that fits their scheme. Miles Turner is perfect for this team in terms of a guy that they can pick up who can just step in, block shots, step out, step out and shoot the three a little bit, and just be a rim defender. Just be a legitimate rim defender and a big body as, as, a, as a rebounder. I mean, I mean he's top top three, I believe, in block shots. He might even lead the league in block shots right now. That might be the type of guy that they need to go after. And he wants out of Indiana, so, I mean, you might have a favorable price for him. I think they just need to get a legit center. 
I think that's a good fit too with Miles Turner going to Toronto. They don't have a, a legitimate center right now. You can maybe pencil in Chris Boucher as that guy. But I think the big thing that they're really lacking is a true rim protector. They have the offensive rebounding ability with guys like Scotty Barnes and Ken Birch racking up a lot of offensive rebounds. But I think the true thing that they're missing right now is a rim protector, somebody that can lock it down on the defensive side. So I think if they could get a guy like Miles Turner, that would be huge to for, for this team to possibly make a play at the play-in tournament because getting a guy like Miles Turner, somebody that could be beneficial to your team on offense and defense, I think that's really what's going to benefit this, this Toronto team, and, and hopefully they can make a run at the play-in tournament. Moving on to the next team, the San Antonio Spurs, my New Year's resolution for them is to go for the record. Now, for those of you, for those of you that don't know, Greg Popovich, the Spurs head coach, is currently sitting at third in the Eastern in the uh, NBA history in NBA history and coaching wins with one thousand three hundred and twenty-four wins. For reference, he needs eleven wins to tie Don Nelson's record of one thousand three hundred and thirty-five wins, and. 12 to break the record for most wins in for most wins in NBA history. I think he is one of the greatest coaches in NBA history with what he's been able to do with the San Antonio Spurs. And he has already cemented a legacy in the NBA. And I think it will only make him better if he surpasses Don Nelson's record. I mean, I can't disagree with that at all. I think them being able to manage getting 12 wins should be pretty a, a relatively simple feat. I don't want to say that it's like super attainable just because their team against some of the other squads is going to be kind of tough, but they do have a set of, uh, a, a, you know, they're going to have their set of favorable games and games that they win that they maybe don't, they maybe shouldn't. So I think he definitely breaks the record. No doubt about that. Greg Popovich needs to be sent out, you know, with a bang. I don't know if he actually chooses to retire, but look, we're already watching Mike Krzyzewski in, in college, man. If, if the end of the era got to go down crazy, go down swinging. I think if, if you do anything, you break the record. 100% agree. Um, my final team is the Washington Wizards, and mine is simple. Spencer Dinwiddie needs to be needs to he needs to make a New Year's resolution that he will swear to be more aggressive on the offensive end. I mean, he's taken a significant, significant drop offensively from the last time that he had played at least 60 games. Last time he played 60 games, yes, he was a bench player. But he came off the bench and was giving primarily and was giving the Brooklyn Nets 20.6 points per game. Right now, he's got 13.1 points per game. He does have 5.6 assists and five rebounds a game, but he's playing next to a guy, next to a guy in Bradley Beal, who's trying to be a bit more of a facilitator. Bradley's not the leading scorer in the NBA the way he was fighting back and forth with Steph Curry last season. They're legitimately playing much better team basketball. And nobody's saying that nobody's saying that uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has to average 20 again. But just be more aggressive on the offensive end. Bradley Beal is definitely the number one threat offensively on his team. Right now, unfortunately, it looks more like Montrez Harrell is the second most aggressive when I think Spencer Dinwiddie is the real key to unlocking this team. I think when you talk about the play of Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, he's playing – you know, pretty good basketball right now for the Washington Wizards. And, you know, his ability to come back from the from the injury that he suffered was important for the Washington Wizards success this year. But you also factor in players like Bradley Beal that have stepped up for this team. Kyle Kuzma, who's having a great season with the Wizards. Montrezl Harrell playing some great minutes coming off the bench. It's definitely going to be interesting to see what type of impact Spencer Dinwiddie has in the second half of the season. 
My last team in the Western Conference is the Utah Jazz, and my New Year's resolution to them is to break the glass ceiling. The Jazz are a great regular season team, and they always find themselves in the playoff conversation, but when when they get to the playoffs, it's where the issues show up. The past five seasons under Quinn Slayer, they've made the playoffs, but they have not made it past the Western Conference semifinals. In fact, they haven't even made the Western Conference finals since the 2006-2007 season, and only one player from that team is still playing in the NBA, and it's Paul Millsap. This season, something has to give for Utah because this team has the talent to make it to the Western Conference final. Yeah, Utah, I think the fact that you said that it's the glass ceiling they need to break through, I think that's a great point just out of the fact that you can they're a good enough team where they can see the other side, right? They can see not just the Western Conference Finals, but the, the NBA Finals. And at this point, it's just about not being in their own way. They're basically in their own way in terms of what they can truly amount to becoming. So I think the biggest thing for them has to be the idea of no longer holding themselves back and truly kind of just unleashing themselves on the league. We saw, we saw Milwaukee do this where they kept running into that brick wall and eventually finally got over the hump. Some could say by hook or crook, but nonetheless, Utah is in a very similar set of circumstances. I think they just have to really embrace the situation and finally, like you said, break through. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what is one New Year's resolution you have for your favorite NBA team? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.